0: To launch the GCC podcast. I'm your host, Marty Duran, Director of Communications for the Great Commission Collective. We're a global network of churches partnering together to plant churches and strengthen leaders. On today's episode of Launch, GCC President Dave Harvey has a conversation with Clint Clifton. Clint's the founding pastor of Pillar Church in Dumfries, Virginia. Founded in 2005, just a mile north of Quantico, Pillar Church has started at least one new church each year, including churches in Reykjavik, Iceland, Bali, Indonesia, and elsewhere around the world. In 2011, Pillar Church launched its most ambitious effort, a project called the Praetorian Project, in attempting to plant a network of new churches at military installations around the world. You're going to hear a little bit about that today. Also, you're going to hear some tips and thoughts for pastors who are thinking of planting a church. So here's the conversation between Dave Harvey and Clint Clifton.
1: You know, Marty, uh, God has been kind to me to give me a, a deep bench of friends that I can call for help in thinking through issues of church planting, network leaderships, uh, things like that. Uh, but but from that bench, uh, Clint Clifton has been one of the most helpful voices. Uh, he brings experience. He brings uh, penetrating study, and he's a local church guy. He's got a pastoral orientation. And uh, this is one of the reasons I called Clint earlier this week. And and in that call, we, we talked about organizational dynamics, movement dynamics, but then our discussion together kind of dropped into a pocket of what it looks like to build an ecosystem to incubate church planters, and I thought it was fascinating, and I thought that might be a good thing for us to talk about, but, but let me just back up first. Clint, thanks for joining us this morning. Yeah, I'm
2: happy to be here, Dave.
1: So, Clint, tell us, and uh, tell our listeners, uh, tell us about your church, um, where it meets, and please, for our benefit, tell us about the church plants that your church is Responsible for because you dropped into this a little bit the other day and yeah, it fascinating.
2: Well, I feel a little like um, I get to talk about my kids, you know. In this regard, you know, I'm I'm super happy to talk about my kids and uh, and this feels like a really similar discussion. So I love this this topic and we'll we'll talk about it uh, for hours if you want. Um, but uh, yes, my church. Uh, so I I, I have a interesting kind of journey to get to church planting out from a non non Christian family and. And uh, our family that didn't exercise their faith uh, very well, and then um, we moved in next door to a pastor, and he shared the gospel with my family. My parents were converted, and um, I was a—you uh, know—we had sort of a alcoholism in our family, and my mom was handicapped, and and it was just a blended family too—stepsisters and uh, stepsister and biological sister. And it was just kind of a, a messy situation, and in all of that uh, the gospel started infiltrating my household and, um, and I, I wasn't interested at first until such time as I became a teenager and started, um, noticing there were young women at church. And so I was all of a sudden interested in going to church and, uh, and, and meeting up with some of those, uh, gals. And, uh, and I went there in pursuit of, uh, you know, a, a relationship, uh, and ultimately found Jesus more alluring. Than any any gal I met there, and so. Um, yeah, the, that the, I became a Christian in that church. is a small church. It was actually the church that Billy Graham was baptized and ordained in. Uh, it's called Penile Baptist. It's a, in a little town called Palatka, Florida, and uh, North Florida. And uh, and God really used that church in my life in incredible ways. They became family to me. Brought, you know, sort of, I was like a son to the church. You know, that people were helping me on all sorts of fronts. People in the church bought me a car, and you know, discipled me and educated me, and just so many wonderful memories of those early years. And um, and God used that time in my life really to catapult me into ministry. My pastor, when he started discipling me, he would meet with me before school on Monday mornings and he would start to developed me for pastoral ministry, even as a brand new Christian. And uh, and he was talking about church planting. He was zealous about church planting too. He was sending like Sunday school classes away to start new churches in our community and around. And uh, man, I just saw this like really zealous uh, work going on and in, in kind of nooks and crannies of our town and community. And, and it really got under my skin. And I, I became really passionate about that. And so I, I started off initially leading worship in church plants. Um, and so that's what I did. Both of my my undergraduate and master's degree are in music, and I thought that would kind of be my pathway. Um, but along the way, I became more interested in church planting.
1: So it was part of the genetics of the church that you were kind of converted into, and and that became part of your DNA. What well, what kind of things were were they doing to encourage that, and and what kind mm-hmm. of things did he do with you to
2: to bring that forward? Yeah, he's still a good friend today his name's Danny Williams he's pastoring a different church um, but uh, he's just you know he became passion and passionate about church planting because he was on vacation one week and he went off to go um, go to church just on a Sunday morning and drove for as he tells the story 17 miles down a1a in, in Florida and didn't see a didn't see a church along the way. And his response was, this is sin. You know, this is wrong. There's too many people here. It shouldn't, shouldn't be this way. And he went back to the church he pastored and said, we got to do something about it. And they said, well, what are you going to do? And so he's, he just went out and found a pastor and he sent some people over and they started a church and that mm-hmm. church sort of exploded in growth. And then he's like, Hey, we did it once we can do it again. And they started doing that and they just sort of got addicted to it. By the time I became a Christian and really got in, in the church's life, they were super committed to church planting and they had done it a few times and been very successful every time they've done it. Most of the churches they planted outgrew them by far. And, um, and, and so, um, I just, I just kind of I became a Christian in that. And so he saw me as a bullet for the gun. You know, I think uh, when I became a a believer, he just like, oh, you're young, you're zealous, you're, you're halfway competent. You could probably be a future church planter. And so he started training me as such.
1: Okay. Okay. So let's fast forward to where the bullet hit and, (laughs) uh, and, and where you started the church and, and tell us about that.
2: Yeah. So, um, uh, long story short, I went to graduate. I went to college and seminary, and and then I got my first legitimate job. I'd only done church plants before that. I'd been kind of a worship guy in church plants, and um, I got my first legitimate job as a as a music minister at a at a real you know, church that had like a choir and an ensemble and the whole nine yards. And I was, you wow, know, I, I did not know that about it. Yeah, yeah, it was, there was a whole different day. Uh, and, um, and in that church, I mean, I was there for all of six weeks when I realized I'd made a grave mistake, you know, uh, all I had done is been a part of new upstart things. And I had viewed that as illegitimate. I was working in that like farm system just to get to the big show. Uh, And I got to the big show and it was a whole different religion. It felt like to me, I mean, it was like uh, all of a sudden it wasn't about like, you know, the same things. It wasn't about evangelism and discipleship and sort of fundamentals and reaching people wherever they are. And it was about something different. It was about like a lot of structures and systems and rules I didn't get or understand about things you were supposed to wear and where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to say. And I was just like overwhelmed by how not uh, excited I was about this situation. So it was like the the most anticlimactic first job you could possibly get. Although the people there were kind, and I remember sitting down with the pastor who's a gentle man, a godly man, and saying to him, um, yeah, I don't think this is gonna work out. Thank you for this opportunity, but I think I, I need to just go and do something else. And he said, no, you don't. You know, If you go start a church right now, it'll be a train wreck. You, you need to stay here, mature, grow. Plus, you're gonna have to convince Christians to be involved in this kind of work with you. You you need time to understand this. You know." And, and I did, I stayed there for three. I, I, I negotiated with him. How long do I have to stay? <laughs> and he said, the deal was you stay for three years. You help us get our worship ministry on track and we're going to, we're going to help you plant a church. And that's exactly what happened. And, um, I stayed there three years, almost to the day. And, um, then I said, okay, I'm ready to go. And he was certainly ready for me to go by that point. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> he sent me out with, uh, he gave me the pulpit one Sunday and I, I preached, uh, my heart out and, asked people to go with me and we planted a church 10 miles north of there. That was Stafford, Virginia. We planted a church 10 miles north at the headquarters of the United States Marine Corps. That's Quantico. And uh, I was trying to convince the Marines in the congregation to go with me. And I convinced 10 people to go, none of them Marines. And uh, so that that was our start.
1: Okay, so uh, along the way then, that that DNA that you had to plant churches began to be transmitted to the church, Mm -hmm. and the vision for church planting emerged early on, and you guys began to plant churches. Talk a little bit about that process of planting churches and what's happened since then.
2: Yeah. That's so David. So it was so cool to like in that stage of my life, again, I'm 23, 24 years old and I'm, I'm dreaming about like, I'm super, I know what I'm not now. And, and I'm trying to figure out what I am. Uh, and what I am is, you know, a little a apostolic, you know, I, I feel like that now that I know the Ephesians 412 kind of, uh, Fivefold leadership of the church, kind of ministry. I, I see myself very much in the A category, the, apost- the apostle category, and I was just always wanting to start new things and initiate new things and bring the gospel to new places. And uh, and I I saw Quantico as I had been close enough to Quantico in proximity to see this incredible potential that were there was there, and the the potential was um, the Marine Corps is the finest. A leadership training institution in the world from my point of view. And uh, their headquarters was right next door to me. And uh, they trained these fantastic leaders. And Marines are either, um, there's no such thing as like a nominal Christian Marine. They're either like reprobates or they're they're fully devoted to Jesus heart, mind, soul, and strength. And um, I love that. I, I so wanted to be a part of something where the distinction was clear. And and then on top of that, if as if those two things weren't good enough, on top of that, the Marine Corps um, sends people all over the world on on Uncle Sam's dime. And so he trains they train great leaders, sent them all over the world. I thought, holy smokes, has nobody else noticed that this is like the best missional opportunity that maybe has ever existed. And uh, so I feel like I saw something that other people didn't see, you know, and I felt like it was an opportunity to go there and plant a church. The problem was I'm an overweight um, musician, um, who doesn't know anything about military life and uh, with facial hair. And I, I only run if someone's chasing me. I've never shot a gun. You know, I, that's who I am as a person. So why would God call me to this, the bastion of manlyhood, the, the the Marine Corps? Uh-huh. Uh, and I just, like, I did, I seem to be the only person that didn't notice the distinction there. The, I, everybody I told him hey, in a planet church at Quantico, I, I think now in hindsight, they were probably thinking, uh, I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> and uh, so it was hard. Yeah. And, and that's what happened. We went there and we we tried to plant the church in the first couple of years. It was really, really hard. Super committed to church planting. Um, but, facing the reality that I can't even get this church rooted. I can't get, get the basics going. I can't get a service happening and small groups happening. And so ran into the reality of how difficult church planting was. And then I had, I sort of had to make a choice. Am I going to continue on this trajectory of multiplication, trying to rapidly multiply uh, on the backs of us Marines, or am I going to sort of pause that press pause so that I can focus on, um, on my energy on, um, on st- stabilizing the church and yeah. and and I, re- I at that point even as a small young struggling church what I couldn't get away from was the stark reality of the great commission that is, you know, that teaches us that no matter your size or your budget or your power, every church has a responsibility to enact and take action on the the Great Commission. And so I don't get to pause my Great Commission involvement in order to stabilize my church. God's responsible for stabilizing my church. I'm responsible for obedience. And so I started developing leaders for the church planting harvest, even as we were a tiny church. We planted our first church about nine months into our launch, after our launch, and we basically... our little congregation in half. And uh, then uh, every year since then, we've planted at least one new church. And uh, we're about to have our 16th birthday in March of this year, next That's year.
1: Fantastic. So the majority of those church plants have gone to other places where there've been some kind of uh, marine base or or installation.
2: Is that accurate? Yeah. So the the, the amazing thing about this work is you know, normally you get to strategize where you're going to go, uh, but th- in this case, it's so we're like God's sovereign hand makes the decision for you where you're going to go. There, there are 12 or so Marine Corps installations around the world, and um, there are some well-worn paths between Quantico and other. Uh, installations based on uh, the Marine's MOS or his sort of job assignment. And so uh, Marines often go to the same places over and over again. And so every summer we'll have, depending on the size of our congregation, you know, we'll, we'll have a, a portion of our congregation, say 8% of our congregation goes to Camp Lejeune in North Carolina. And, and 3% of our congregation goes to Camp Pendleton in Southern California. And one, one family goes to 29 Palms. And and one family goes, goes to Coneo, Hawaii, and three families go to Okinawa, Japan, they all go to the same places over and over again. Um, so it only made sense to begin noticing when inordinate size groups were headed to the same base at the same time. It, and to capitalize on that movement. It also only made sense to, uh, to say to those, to the rest of our congregation, go to your monitor, which is the person who's responsible for dis- determining your assignment uh, and tell them you request to go to this place where we're planting a church. Um, and, and those sorts of things started to formulate. And as I beca- became more familiar with the Marine Corps and how it works, and I, I saw more and more and more opportunities for, for the gospel to car- be carried on the backs of those Marines.
1: I love the, you know, the missional creativity and adapt- adaptivity that's, you know, d- displayed in the story of your church and the church planting
2: ultimately became a church planting network,
1: the pillar, right?
2: Yeah, we, we uh, the pillar is the name of our churches. All of the churches are independent, autonomous churches, self-governing, got their own elders. Um, and we we're, we're pillar church of, in the community right outside the base. So my church is pillar church of Dumfries. We're planting right now, pillar church of Stafford. There's pillar church of Oceanside and pillar church of Okinawa. Um, so there's uh, all the churches are named after the community, but they're right outside of, of an installation. And the the network really is called we call the Praetorian Project. Okay, Clint. Let's say a, a senior pastor is listening, or you
1: know, an elder, and and he he wants to help their church plant churches, but doesn't know where to start. So yeah. so he's sitting across from you right now and saying, Clint, what what steps should I take? What should I be doing? Yeah. What are you telling him?
2: Well, i'm I'm going to warn you, I'm intensely practical i'm I'm probably one of the most practically minded. Uh Pastors, you'll interact with. <laughs> um, I, I'm not known. I'm not known for my intelligence. I'm known for my practicality. So, uh, so I'm just going to like shoot straight with some very practical things you should start doing immediately. Uh, number number one, first and foremost, you should teach from the Bible that God commands us to plant churches. So, what is the biblical rationale for church planting? Um, can, is there an articulate version of that that you can study and discover and then teach to people. People of The people of God are motivated by the Word of God. So if we teach God's people that the Great Commission is a call to start new churches, then they'll see obedience to the Great Commission, which they already believe to be a necessity, as exercised in church planting. Right now, most pastors and most Christians see the Great Commission and church planting as two separate issues. But when Jesus said, go, baptize, teach, make disciples— Given the fact that the church is the only institution on the planet that baptizes, teaches, and makes disciples, Jesus must have been discussing church planting when he commanded us to go do those things. That's one piece of rationale. Another when we, one, when we see acts, it's
1: apparent that that was the result. That was how they applied the Great Commission. That's
2: where but, I was going next. Okay, the, sorry, the, apostle, go the apostles, the original hearers of the Great Commission, their response to Jesus's command to go, Uh, Baptize, teach and make disciples was as recorded for us in Acts was to plant new churches. So if the apostles heard Jesus speak and responded with church planting and we hear him speak and we respond with anything other than church planting, who is it that misunderstood the great commission? It's, yes. it's probably us. Um, so, the Great Commission is 100% an explicit call to plant new churches. And if you're teaching your people that the Great Commission is anything other than a multiplication of, of local churches, then you're misteaching mis- them. Um, so, uh, it's the bullseye of the Great Commission. Uh, it is uh, the bullseye of the Great Commission's exercise in church planning. So, for number one, the biblical rationale, you have to, your people have to become fluent in the knowledge that church planning and, and, uh, and the Great Commission are, are one and the same. So I think that is maybe the most critical component. Mm, Um, uh, And and when when people believe that and see that, they start to see church planting all throughout the New Testament. All of a sudden, it's not a, a group of random letters to churches. It's a group of letters to church planters from a more experienced church planter it's uh the the book of acts is not just uh the story of the church it's the story of the foundation of the church and the advance of the church uh by uh, through the apostles and so all i mean you just the the whole the scripture the new testament specifically comes into it's viewed differently it's seen differently by the people in your church uh and you can highlight you know every time you're teaching from the new testament you can highlight you know That so and so was a church planter, and so and so was a church planning team member. I mean, there's so many. It's like it's almost like it's so obvious in the New Testament that we miss it. It's like we miss the forest for the trees, you know, so to speak. So that the biblical rationale is huge. Another thing is just praying. For churches, other churches—not just church plants, but other churches—right uh, now, uh, most American Christians sort of see their church as the best church, and other churches as as uh, sort of competitors, so to speak. They wouldn't say it that explicitly, like that, but they they want their church to succeed, and they don't really care about other churches succeeding. Uh, but that's not really the way the kingdom is, right? I mean, we we uh, so we need to be praying for the fruitfulness and success of other churches in our community, and as we do so, we we say. Uh, to our congregation that we're on a big team. We're just a small part of a big team that's working to advance the kingdom of God, his kingdom come. And, And so we can pray for other churches and church planters regularly. I don't, I think every single worship gathering there should be, a few moments dedicated to praying for the success of other churches in our community yeah. and um yeah. and our church has done that from the very beginning and you it it will it will do something to your people that uh you won't see immediately but over time it'll form a culture of receptivity and sensitivity to the success of other churches which will be to the to the good of the kingdom
1: and um, create global
2: christians
1: rather than people yes. that are fixated on what what their church is doing because it's pushing vision and scope out beyond the appropriately
2: beyond the local church yeah the other thing, the other big bucket, I would say I could give you probably 15 of these, but let me just go with the top three. The other big bucket is the way we relate to those who are qualified for pastoral ministry uh, is, is I think, really wrong and kind of sideways. Um, I think the way we think about it is who's called and when they're called, I'll equip them. And I just feel like that is just not what we're we're taught to be and do as pastors. Ephesians 4, you know, the bullseye of the pastor's job description is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Um, It doesn't say equip the called for the work of the ministry. And who's to determine the called anyway? Calling works itself out in time and circumstance. Uh, what we're called to do is equip people for ministry. So I, what I want to do in my church is I want to say to every man in my church that has potential to be a pastor, um, I want to I equip you so that if God in the future places you somewhere and begins to call you, um, then you have already received some of that equipping because you you spent time here. So I think pastors think way too much about calling and not nearly enough about equipping. And so I, I feel like um, it's uh, you know, we have intentional efforts to do all kinds of discipleship in our churches, except for the discipleship of future pastoral leaders. Yeah, And so I think a major, major, major category in every church should be how are we producing new pastors Um, and so I want to be saying to my people, so we have around our church, we do things like preaching labs. We say, come learn to preach everybody. Just bring it on. Uh, we want lots and lots of capable preachers. Well, lots of people that don't feel nervous to stand in front of the crowd of a crowd and say, thus saith the Lord. Um, and we just want to do that. What if like just tons of men and women in our church? Could do that. And the women found context to do that biblically, uh, and the men found context to do that biblically. And it was just a, a, a deep bench of equipped leaders. Um, and in a particular way, there's a really cool thing that happens when a pastor goes to a, a person in his congregation who has. Uh, a particular gifting and he highlights that to them so let's pretend dave that you're a member of my church and you're serving well you're loving your wife you're evangelizing your neighbors you're bringing your coworkers to to service you're using your house for hospitality and kingdom work you're just being a daggum good christian and i'm your pastor uh, i'm probably going to text you and say hey dave i have something really serious i want to talk to you about do you think you'd have a little bit of time uh for us to hang out uh, sometime in the near future and you'd text me back and say sure whenever you want name the place and time and I'd say hey let's meet at IHOP on Saturday morning um, and you say anything I need to be worried about or anything I need to prepare for and I say no it, it is a serious conversation but let me just share it with you when I get there and you say okay and then we sit down at IHOP yeah, you're anxious I'm paranoid yeah you're paranoid you've been thinking about it all week oh no what did I do <laughs> is he going to rebuke me You know, we show up at IHOP and we sit down and I say uh, Dave I just want to give you the bottom line line up front. I've been watching you from afar and um and I noticed that you're godly, you take the word of God seriously, you love your wife uh, in an exceptional way, an exemplary way. Um, you shepherd your kids, you share the gospel with your neighbors, and all those things are things that pastors do. I mean, you you are a pastor. You're a, you, you've got pastoral gifts. And I don't know if God would ever call you to the pastoral ministry, but I want you to know as your pastor that if he did call you, I'd be eager to help you. And, and even if he doesn't call you, I'd be eager to equip you so that you could be ready to serve the Lord in any capacity. I know you're in the military and you're probably going to move somewhere else pretty soon who knows what god what what context god will place you in in iraq or Af- afghanistan or germany or or europe who knows where you'll be i want you to be ready uh, and equipped to to share the gospel, and
1: you know this is a this is a really important point, and I think particularly for any listeners that are are leading in a church, or senior pastors, or elders, you have responsibility. One of the things that Clint is pulling out here is that for for men who are who are called, there's an active work of grace in their life that's bringing forward the qualifications that we see in First Timothy three and and Titus one. So I remember doing a study on the Verbs there, and and recognizing, wow! The the implication here is that God has set t- to Timothy and Titus, God has set these men in the church, and you'll know you'll you'll see them. By virtue of these things, hmm. you know, hospitable and and all, all the things that are listed there uh, because the grace of God has been at work in their life. And hmm. so and also it, it's, sometimes it'll it'll surface through their aspiration. It's interesting that Paul starts with a commitment to uh, or with a recognition of aspiration. If anybody aspires yeah. the office of overseer, he desires a noble thing. So, you you know, the, the pressure is not on you all together to identify you know it's not just about leadership identification the good news is there's grace at work that the spirit of god is at work he's he's creating these qualities in mm-hmm. men that will come to your attention like you're yeah. saying
2: yeah and it's I, so many pastors that i know say phrases like we just don't have anybody to send like we don't have anybody called and i just say like they they don't believe they play any role in the calling process they, a pastor, uh, an elder in a church, a pastor, a teaching elder, who, who, whatever word you use to describe it, do, generally doesn't see themselves as playing a critical role in the calling of somebody. Now, I'm going to tell you this. The reason our church has planted so many churches is because I've had dozens and dozens and dozens of those breakfast conversations uh, that I just described. And every time I see God's gifts uh, emerging in somebody pastorally, I tell them about it. And I tell them about in a way that says to them, um, "This is uh, this is my job as a pastor. It's to equip you for ministry." And so I I don't want there to be any ambiguity or confusion about what I'm willing to do to get you ready to serve the Lord with all of yourself.
1: First, you're an interpreter for them of of what's going on and that the the activity of the spirit in their life. mm -hmm. And then, and then, yeah, you're equip you're equipping them and training them. But I love the fact that you're referencing these meetings because these breakfast meetings, because that's really important. You know, you weren't passive about that, but you were, looking over the church, you're seeing where the, the Spirit of God is at work, where these qualities are becoming evident. You're sitting down with guys and interpreting that for them and creating a category in their mind that, that a
2: generally humble guy is not going to be assigning to himself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no. And uh, might... uh, yes, that's the thing. The, the, the kinds of guys that have those pastoral qualities, they're also not generally the kinds of guys that, if they have an aspiration, they necessarily trumpet it. You know, they're, they're the meek and the humble and the kind of, uh, yeah. So another thing about that is I, I just absolutely love the process of being the soil in which, uh, someone is called to serve the Lord. Uh, I love being at the beginning of the process with somebody because, um, you know, certainly our church could start a residency and we could like invite people in and and prepare them for a year or two. But they're really already developed and called somewhere else. And to me, that's that feels like cheating. Like what I got into ministry to do was to create more ministry, not to just like find somebody that had been developed by someone else and put my sticker on them. You know, I really, I really, really want there to be, I want to be a, an agent of change. And so when I go to a person who's a, a Marine or a truck driver or anything else and and talk to them like this, if over a five or six year period of time or two or three year period of time, I convert them into a, a fruitful pastor, then boy, I have just multiplied myself in exponential ways for, for the future Maybe even generations, especially if I teach them, uh, teach them to do the same thing in terms of entrusting faithful men, uh, to, uh, trusting this teaching to faithful men. So that's great, um, Clint. Let me make this my last question, but
1: it, boy, it sure is an important one. Um, you know, you were talking about praying for other churches, and and uh, I, I have a cohort on on leading leaders, and a guy yesterday was sharing with us. Uh, Robbie Simons was teaching us on uh, cultivating a church planting culture and in it one of his four points was there must be a kingdom conviction mm-hmm. and so you're talking about praying for other churches every Sunday morning which is such a loud statement h- about how the the kingdom is bigger than us mm-hmm. and they, and and you're promoting the kingdom and and I, actually when I think about how you roll in general this this seems to be a category we we met because you reached out to me to do a podcast. I wasn't part of your tribe or anything Mm -hmm. like that. So here's my question. Why is a kingdom vision so important for leaders who are trying to build a church planting culture?
2: well you can't do it otherwise i mean i think without a kingdom vision church planning doesn't make sense uh so i mean uh, but what i find is even those who have a kingdom vision they don't have a lot of models to look to about what the what the appropriate way is to exercise a kingdom vision that's why i emphasize the practical components of pray in your worship service and talk about church planting i'll give you a this is a commercial of sorts but i'll give you a super practical way that is in that first category the biblical rationale category um that we we have i wrote a thing called the church planting primer and it's basically just a four sessions course you can offer in your church it's totally free you can download it um from newcityplanting.org and in the the um, the course is four sessions. First session is the Biblical Rationale for Church Planning. Second session is the need for new churches in our context. The third is how new, new churches begin in the New Testament. And then the last one is how everyday Christians can be involved in starting new churches. And so uh, what I found is when you sit down with Christians who love God and love His Word and describe this stuff and explain it, it's a no-brainer. Like, they're on board. Very rarely do I have a conversation about church planting with somebody and they don't walk away going, yeah, you're totally right. This is something we should dedicate ourselves to. I mean, um, it's just, it's an education piece. Not many not many pastors are talking like that. So if you need some language or help, I'd love to help with that. I know you've got resources on that too, but um, the church planting primaries, the reason we made it, and the reason we made it totally free is that we hope churches will just use it liberally um, for that kind of Excellent. Process. So that's uh,
1: newcityplanting.com dot org dot org, .org. where guys yeah. get
2: that yeah and it's just on the courses page you'll you'll just find it and um yeah it's video based so you can download it and show the videos if you don't feel competent to teach it uh let me teach it uh if you uh if you do want to teach it then the the manuscript teaching guide is in there all the powerpoints are in there i mean you just do the whole thing yourself okay well we'll have marty drop that uh that link into the show notes
1: and maybe on the Facebook page as well. Clint, this, as expected, this was an excellent conversation. Thank you so much for giving us your time and your help and, and just for modeling these things. I mean, this is this is what we want to be. We want to be church planting churches,
2: and that's something you've done, and we're grateful to God for that Thanks Dave. I appreciate it. If I can I'll make two commercials. One the Military Church Planting Ministry that I was just talking about um, uh, it's you can be you can find out more about that at PraetorianProject.org. uh org. and also I I do podcasts weekly on the subject of church planting at the church planting podcast and that's churchplantingpodcast.org and of course you can find it at all the all the platforms. Excellent. Thank you Clint. Thanks Dave.
0: Thank you for listening to Launch, the GCC Podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, why not take a moment to do that in your favorite podcast app? Also, rate and review the podcast when you get a moment. That helps us with search results. And recommend us to your friends, maybe other pastors that you know, who will benefit from the content from this podcast. Also, don't forget to check out our website if you haven't done that already. It's gccollective.org. That's gccollective.org. And there's a lot of helpful information. There's articles. There's how you can join the GCC, whether a church planter or an existing church, and plenty of other content that will help you grow spiritually and encourage you in your leadership journey.